Welcome to Modern Sign Books. If you're interested in what makes your favorite authors tick, then you'll love hearing what they have to say in our interviews. Learn how they got started writing, the books and authors that inspired them, and much more. Meet today's hottest authors as they discuss their lives and writing with art book specialist Roger Nichols. And don't forget to pick up a copy of your favorite books at bjbooks.com. Here's Roger. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Our guest today came to a spectacular career in the mystery and thriller genre from kind of an unusual background. Now, he started out by graduating from Queens College with a degree in English. A lot of people do that. But then he went to the prestigious Palmer College of Chiropractic West in California and became a highly successful chiropractor with an excellent reputation in the medical community. As a matter of fact, he became what they call an agreed medical examiner. He was later appointed as a qualified medical evaluator by the state of California and got extensive experience testifying as an expert witness. Now, my understanding is that he injured his wrist in a freak accident and was unable to continue practicing, so he fired up the computer and became a writer. And we are all glad he did because he's produced a number of highly absorbing books, including a series on Upsig Team Black and the latest in the Karen Vale series, The Darkness of Evil, which comes out March 7th. We're very pleased to welcome Alan Jacobson. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Roger. Great to be here. Ah, now you had some writing background before your medical career, as I understand it. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, I actually had an incredible English teacher back in, in junior high school who inspired me. And uh, from there, I went on and got my degree in English at, at Queens College, as you noted. And uh, it was something that I absolutely loved. I loved reading. I loved writing. I took a lot of writing courses in college. But uh, I also didn't uh, know what I would do with it. Uh, and people said to me, well, what are you going to do with this English degree? And it really honestly never occurred to me to have a career writing novels. It just, mm-hmm. it wasn't suggested to me and it wasn't something that, uh, that I considered, but at the same time, I had been helped by a chiropractor when I was 14, uh, had migraine headaches, classic migraines. So I was, oh. I would go blind before the, the the migraine hit. So it was it was uh, very impactful for a young teenager. And I went to a chiropractor on recommendation of my uncle, who was a chiropractor, studying to be a chiropractor at the time. And uh, my migraine headaches went away. To this day, I've not had another migraine. So Sweet. that meant a lot to me. And I said, well, I want to help people. And uh, so I got my degree in English. And then I took almost all the courses necessary to have a minor in bio. And then I went uh, cross country to California and spent four years in chiropractic school and absolutely loved it. It was, uh, it, it, it did change my life. I, I have said that many times uh, privately to people and uh, I, I don't regret it for a second, a millisecond. It was uh, practice was wonderful. Uh, the, the school was wonderful. I just, uh, it was great. It was not my choice to leave uh, practice, as as you noted. It was an injury-related thing. But at the same time, I'm I'm very fortunate to have had two careers that I absolutely love. I love writing. I suppose it would be indelicate of me to suggest that those of us who are readers are kind of happy that this happened to you. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> you know, my dad at the time said, uh, you know, because it was it was a difficult time for me um, oh, yeah. when it was happening, when I was going through it. And cause I, I figured I'd be practicing for, you know, into my sixties and seventies because mm-hmm. a lot of chiropractors that I knew at the time did that. 
And uh, so he said to me, look, you know, you never know. This could be the best thing that ever happened to you. And uh, I thought it was like, how could you say that, you know, at the time? But, uh, you know, I I wouldn't say he was right because I I love writing. I I love both having had both careers. So I wouldn't say it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. But in some ways, it really opened up, uh, really opened me up to things that I never, ever would have encountered or learned in my life uh, because I do a lot of research for my novels. Each novel presents different challenges because I, I try to take my readers behind the scenes to places and involving things that they wouldn't ordinarily have the chance to, to experience. And the same goes for me because I'm the one who has to learn about this stuff before I write about it. And so I've met some really fascinating people uh, in a lot of different countries. I've worked extensively with law enforcement of all stripes, uh, and it's been an eye-opener. And I've gone places uh, nobody gets a chance to go. So uh, it's been enormously rewarding. And, uh, you know, in that respect, my dad was right. (laughs) <laughs> Darn it! How that happens, isn't it awful? Yes, right. <laughs> um, I, I, there's another, maybe a serendipitous encounter that you had while auditing a class at the California Criminalists Institute. Yes, uh, that was one of the things that I alluded to in terms of uh, having changed my life because. While I was in that class, which is a whole other story in and of itself, how I actually got into that class, but it was a a class on blood spatter pattern analysis, and it was an eye-opener from a forensic point of view, because this was back in uh, early 1994. This was Mm. before CSI TV series. Nobody knew what a criminalist was. Forensic scientists was something we may have heard of uh, because of the O.J. Simpson trial, but it was largely out of the public realm and uh, way off my scale. I I not come across it. So I'm in this class and I'm taking copious notes because it's fascinating stuff. And uh, you know, the first day I'm, I'm in the back and I got my head down. I'm writing down everything the instructors are saying, and we take a break and I'm still writing, trying to catch up with, with my notes. And all of a sudden, a large shadow descends over my desk. <laughs> and I look up, and there's this huge guy sitting there, and he goes, who are you, and what are you doing here? I didn't look like a cop or a detective or an FBI agent, which was what the class was composed of. And uh, I explained what I was doing, and I was doing research for one of my books, which was actually my very first one, False Accusations. And uh, he said... Oh, well, you know, do you have any questions? I can help you. So we started talking and ultimately what ended up happening was he he became really one of my best friends. And, you know, like I said, this was 23 years ago and uh, it it, it changed my life because he went on to become a senior FBI profiler and we would talk for hours at a time back actually before he was even promoted to the uh, FBI profiling unit because he loved talking about, uh, he was fascinated by this concept of criminal investigative analysis profiling mm-hmm. and the serial killers, the serial offenders that committed these crimes that he was studying. And so he couldn't, uh, 
talk enough about it, and I couldn't get enough about it hearing about it. So we would have these discussions that would last hours at a time, which honestly continue to this day. <laughs> uh, and uh, and it, it, it changed my life because it exposed me to something I knew nothing about. Uh, I engrossed myself deeply in the world of, um, of profiling. Mm-hmm. And I made a, a lot of trips over the years to the to the profiling unit in Quantico, and uh, it it really exposed me to experiences that I never would have had. So mm-hmm. that touched off it, it. It also changed my career in many ways because that's when I started writing the Karen Vale series, and uh, I love every one of those books. They're all different, and they take me to new and different places. And that's kind of the idea is when you're writing a series, the danger is that the author gets stuck in a rut. Um, and it's not on purpose. It's, it's subconsciously the mind keeps taking you to uh, similar places. So mm-hmm. uh, when my publisher asked me to make Karen Vale a series, cause I, I, for that reason, I swore I'd never write a, a series character. <laughs> and here I was <laughs> try to defend that position to my publisher and they're going, yeah, but the seventh victim is, is incredible. And Karen Vale is an awesome character and the sales reps and the buyers at Barnes and Noble and Borders, they want more of Karen Vale and they want to know when the next Karen Vale novel is coming out. And here I was in New York at lunch saying, I didn't want to write, you know, another Karen Vale novel. I didn't want to write a series. And, uh, what was it that persuaded you? At some point, does it that that hit over the head that this is a really good thing? Well, it's it's kind of intimidating when your publisher is sitting across the table saying, "Explain this," because this is what we want you to do, <laughs> and you you know. So I I had to think about it. I said, you know what? Let me let me give it some thought because I don't want to get stale. I don't want to write the same book over and over again. Right. You know, with just uh, different change the characters, change the setting. But uh, it was not something I thought my readers wanted. It wasn't something that I thought I wanted to do. It sounds kind of boring to me. So I said, let me think about it. If I can figure out a way to keep Karen Vale fresh from book to book, I'll do it. And he said, you've got a week. So <laughs> I, I went home and I, I did a lot of navel gazing and uh, and it came to me. I figured out what I would do and how I would do it. And once that came to me, I said, okay, I'll, I'll do this. And I called him up and I said, I'm on the oh. will be series. And I'm so glad that I did that. And, um, you know, it's something that I still insist upon. It's gotta be something fresh. And if it's not working, I will abandon the project. And I always said that, for uh, nine years, 10 years now, I've said that, but it only came to fruition once uh, mm-hmm. a few years ago when uh, I got into uh, the outlining of a novel and I was several weeks into it and it just was not working for me. And I said, you know what? I need to live by my, my words. And uh, <laughs> literally, not, not just as a writer, but you know, I've been saying I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to abandon a project uh, no matter how far I'm into it, if it's just not working. And uh, and I did. I put it aside and and I started a new one. Another idea that I had, because I have a lot of ideas in my in my computer that I, uh, you know, every time I come up with 
something that's intriguing. I'll brainstorm on it. I'll type it up and put it away in a Karen Vale file, perspective novel file. And, uh, and say I do the same thing with Opsic Team Black, that series. Uh, and, you know, when the time comes, uh, I have a, a treasure chest of uh, ideas to work from. But usually it's my mind tells me what I should write next. Um, it's just something that starts uh, occupying my thoughts uh, more and more frequently while I'm in the editing process of the novel that I have just finished. And uh, again, it's not something that I consciously think of. It just starts happening. And the one idea that I cannot get out of my head is the one that I start working on next. Cool. That's a really great way to describe that because that becomes your obsession. Then, And the obsession is how you get stuff done. Um, exactly. I want to talk just a little bit before we get into more details about this particular book about the interesting tension dynamics between writing two different series. Um, some people, uh, David Baldacci said, you know, it gives me a refreshment to go away and write on this for a while and then come back and write on this and I get refreshed each time I make this transition. I wonder if that happens to you. Yes, uh, <laughs> that's exactly what happens. It's, and again, it's not something that I'm consciously aware of. Early in my career, I noticed that I was writing uh, a novel that was more, say, psychological, suspense, uh, police procedural, and then the next book would be more thriller type, uh, mm -hmm. faster hitting scenes, more action. And I realized a few books in that I, I needed that, that my mind needed to think differently and, and uh, I needed to construct scenes differently and it just the way it happened. And once I became aware of that, I didn't do anything differently because I, uh, you don't want to force yourself to do something just for the sake of, you know, well, I should do X, even mm -hmm. though I want to do Y. Uh, you know, you, you get the most creativity when you just let things happen organically. So I just, I chuckle when I say, oh, <laughs> this is what's ha it's happening again. Uh, and when the opposite team black series came about, because there's an interesting story with that too. It wasn't even yeah. something that I had planned to do. Uh, I had written the hunted back. Uh, it came out in 2001 and it was my second novel. It came after false accusations, which is uh, that psychological suspense type of novel. And the hunted is more thriller. And, uh, I, I had written the story that really was the object team black origin story. They, uh, the group, it's a, it's a covert ops group. They, they perform black ops, uh, to help keep the country safe. They take on these missions that are deniable. They don't have any connection to the U S government. And, uh, so I, I launched that group in the midst of the story that I was telling for the hunted. And it was very intriguing and uh, exciting. And, uh, you know, the whole book wasn't about that, but uh, a good chunk of it was. It was integral to the plot of what was happening. I revisited it. I started writing another book called Hard Target, which actually took me 11 years to, to finish. Uh, I had finished it. I kept reworking it. Uh, and updating it as time passed, because once I started writing the Karen Vale series, 
they only wanted Karen Vale novels. So I had this terrific story with, uh, with these great characters sitting on my desk and I would continue to update it and, and rework it. And it, uh, finally came out in 2012 and, and it involved the object team black group. So here I had the second novel, but I was not looking at it that way. Uh-huh. So when I wrote the lost codex, I said to my editor, you know, I'm not really sure what this is. This was in the outlining phase. I'm not sure what book this is. It Karen Vale is one of the main characters, but it doesn't feel like a Karen Vale novel to me. So he said, just write it and then we'll see what you've got. Just go with it. And, and I did that. And when I was done, I said to him, I still don't know what I have here. I love it, but I'm not sure, you know, how to categorize it. So he said, I right, sent it over to me, send it to him. And he goes, it's very obvious what you've got here. You know, you've got the, the third book in your Optic Team Black series. <laughs> so that, you know, the Lost Codex, which was uh, last year's book, became my um, third book in the Optic Team Black series. And suddenly I had the second series I was writing, even though I had been writing it and didn't realize it. So <laughs> it's, it's I just st- finished the it, fourth one. Wow. All right. Well, we'll ask about that toward the end of the, the interview because we like that's we like to go off on looking in the future. But um, you have basically a stealth series that sneaked up on you is what happened. <laughs> that's right, a stealth series about stealth characters. Yeah, <laughs> funny, funny to look at it that way, Roger. But that's, that's exactly just, just, just what happened. It's just up occurred on to me. me. So let's dive in at this point, unless you have something else you want to make sure that we mention into the darkness of evil which sounds silly when we say it that way, but that's the title of the book. So, um, this, is, this has one of the most startling opening sentences I've read in a long, long time. Um, is that where it originally started, or is that something that, that evolved as you were putting the thing together? It, it was the opening sentence when I typed it from the get-go. Uh, this, uh, this story came to me, uh, the thought was, man, you know, these, these serial offenders, these killers, these heinous individuals are often family people. They have a wife, they have kids, they have daughters, and yet they're killing and maiming and carving up these women. I mean, how, how does this happen? It just fascinated me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it's something that perhaps I should have thought of years ago, but it just never occurred to me. And then here it was, it popped into my head. It was one of those things where I had this idea. I just, it, it, it excited me and I wrote, uh, an outline, you know, the first page of notes that, that came to me. anything that, you know, I just brainstorm anything that comes to me. I start writing the story starts to take shape in that uh, brainstorming session. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. You know, that in the, the ensuing days while I was working on the edits for the lost codex, uh, this, this concept of uh, uh, the daughter of a serial killer kept coming back to me and I kept making additional notes on it until the point came where I finished lost codex and, and went right into researching um, the darkness of evil. And, it, it was a story that really came 
it, it came to me by itself. It, it wasn't something that I had to um, think too terribly hard about it. The, the story itself did, but the concept behind it, I should say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, it was very natural to me, and it was something I wanted to explore. And as I started to get into it, I realized this is, this is something um, that I could spend a year thinking about and working on. And because um, that's what, you know, it takes me uh, a solid year to mm-hmm. complete one of these novels. So wherever you choose, you're going to be living with that and <laughs> deeply engrossed in it. I get very, um, you know, it's, it's constantly on my mind. I know a lot of authors are like this when, when we write something, you know, we, we, we become <laughs> that, that project. Uh, we mm-hmm. live and breathe it. It's, it's always on our mind to, uh, to some extent. And, so uh, this was, was something that uh, really I found intriguing. Ah, well, and so if we, as, as the, the novel opens, I'm not going to give any, any plot points away, but as the novel opens, the daughter of a serial killer is being interviewed on television, having written a book about her father. And it just gets stranger and more complicated every page from there. Yes. <laughs> um, it was... Uh, again, you know, one of these things that uh, once I started to get into the uh, nitty gritty of the story, <clears throat> it really just became uh, kind of like a snowball, just mm-hmm. working off the thing that came before it. And and, and I always outline my books before I start writing. Uh, mm-hmm. And it came to me pretty naturally. Uh, sometimes what happens, you know, I, I'm asked, do, do you ever get writer's block? I don't get writer's block while I'm writing, but I'll get writer's block at some point, sometimes when I'm outlining, uh, uh. which is kind of a, a weird thing because, and it's not that I don't know what to write. It's that I have too many ideas and, <laughs> and I write them down and they can take the story in multiple different directions depending upon what I want to do with it. So I get into the situation where uh, maybe two or three months into my outline, I have, I have the story down, but I have so many different ideas that it's overwhelming and I have to pull back and I have to stop and take, you know, the, the bird's eye view. I have to look down on it and say, okay, where am I going with this? What, you know, I have a, B, and C, but I've also got, you know, 26 other ideas here that, um, you know, that could take me in, in multiple different directions. So where do I, what direction do I want to go in with this? How do I want to get to my ending? Because I always have the ending before I start writing. Yeah. Uh, and, and not all writers are like that. Um, a friend of mine, Stephen James, he, he believes in not outlining. Um, yeah. And, you know, all authors are, are where people, our brains work differently and, and our, our process is different. And uh, for me, I need to know where I'm going so that I can build it. And, and it's a map and I could work backwards and plant things along the way and, and create twists and uh, excitement because, you know, I know where I'm going to end up. So I know what has to happen along the way. Uh, it's just the way my brain works. And, um, so with, uh, the darkness of evil, it just it came to me, uh, very organically. I did not have too many issues where, uh, I didn't know which way to go. Cause I had so many ideas. It just flowed 
beautifully yeah. in the outline phase and, and while I was writing it. I sh- I sh- we should mention one other plot point is that the killer who has been locked up uh, escapes and it puts this ratchets the tension up tremendously and uh, throughout the rest of the, the book this is this is always in the background where is he what's he doing who's he after and he's threatened his daughter for he believes or at least has said to people that she turned him in originally so uh, right. I, I think that uh, you've got all, all kinds of things going on you've got woman in peril kind of thoughts you've got you've got serial killer on the loose thoughts where do you find them how do you protect the people there's so much going on here that at every twist and turn, I usually take notes when I, when I read books for, for our interview purposes. I took fewer notes on this than any book I've read in a long time because I could not stop the reading to take the notes. So um, take that as you will. That's a compliment. That's, yes, yes. No, I, I, that's terrific. Um, and the the emails that I have gotten over the years now, of course, you also get Facebook posts and, and, yeah. and so on. But uh, were that, you know, thanks a lot. You kept me up till four in the morning. I couldn't stop reading. Uh, one of my favorite ones is, um, you know, I, each day at work, you know, you got me in trouble each day at work. I would take your book with me and I'd sneak into the back room at work and I'd be reading instead of doing my work. And, (laughs) oh my goodness. Um, yeah, so it's, it's fun when you get those type of, uh, comments from readers, because that's certainly, what you want to do. I mean, not disrupt somebody's work day, but uh, yeah. you know, you want them to become engrossed with the characters in the story and engaged in what happens and care about what happens so that you, you get lost, so to speak in this world. And uh, as a writer, that's what I do while I'm writing. I get lost in this world. Um, one thing that, I've learned over the years is that I talk to myself <laughs> and I hope there are no psychologists or psychiatrists listening because it <laughs> sounds like I'm loony, but, uh, I talk to myself. I, I, there are voices in my head while I'm writing and, and I'm not talking about just the characters because that's, that's a given. And I know all authors have these, these voices. We hear our characters talking, but I'm telling myself things while I'm writing. And, uh, if a scene is not working, or if there's a problem with the scene, I'm telling myself what the problem is. So I've learned, it took me a while to, to say to myself, hey, you're, you're telling yourself what's, what's not working here. Stop. Listen to what you're saying. Fix it now. Yeah. Don't, don't finish and then say, okay, so something's not right here. Stop and, and pay attention to what you're telling yourself. So uh, that took me a while to, um, to, to see what I was doing, to, to understand that process that I was going through and, and pull back and fix things. And it, it, what it does is it, it helps tremendously. It, um, it makes for a cleaner first draft. It makes for a cleaner process, uh, when you're editing because you don't have all these problems that crop up that you have to then go back and fix. So, uh, again, it's, it's, a everybody's different. It's a process. It was something that I was doing all along, but was ignoring until finally I realized what I was doing and, uh, and I, and I paid attention to this voice in my head. And, and sometimes that's a good thing. It really can be uh, all, for all the psychiatrists listening out there who are going, Hmm, it can be good. <laughs> I want to switch gears just a, a little moment because you've written that or in an interview, we responded that names are very important to you. So 
just out of whim, I, I looked up Karen, and by golly, it has an interesting derivation. Uh, it's uh, a Danish form of Catherine, a cognate of the Greek Ekaterina, the root of which is katharos, which means pure and unsullied. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and names are very, yeah. Yeah. In, in addition, her, her chocolate brown poodle is named Hershey. So you're a winner in all respects. <laughs> I think, and this is something that I really uh, discovered very, very early on in my, my writing career, that names, uh, they tell you things about the character. Usually it's on a subconscious level. And there are things that, that have to be right for a name. I cannot write a character if the name is not right. I have a problem. So if, if the character is not working for me, it's usually because the name is not right. And I, and I change the name and I'm able to, to move forward. And sometimes it's the sound of the name. Sometimes it's the um, ethnicity of the name. Sometimes it's the, uh, uh, the syllables. And sometimes it's just this intangible that I just don't know what it is, but it's not, just not fitting the character. And um, then you also have the issue of character names that sound or look alike in the same novel. And I, I've read books like this, and it drives me crazy because I go, wait, is this the, this is McCracken or is this MacArthur? Wait, you know, and, and, I, and I, it takes me out of the story because then I have to go back and say, wait, MacArthur was the guy who, whose sister yeah. was killed. McCracken's the other guy whose sister, you know, was saved. And, and it drives me nuts. So uh, I try very hard to make sure my, my character names are identifiable and different from one another. It, it gets difficult as you get this, you know, 12 novels in and uh, you have this family of characters that, that repeat. And that's something that I enjoy as well is, is having created this family of characters that we know and like to visit with. Mm-hmm. And I know my readers do too, because I've, uh, you know, heard from them. Hey, you know, what, can you bring Roxanne Dixon back? We, we love Roxanne Dixon. We want, to, we want to see more of her. Uh, so I know that they feel, the readers feel the same way about these characters that I do. Mm-hmm. And it's fun for me to come back and bring them back. And as you, as I have developed this uh, stable of, of characters, it gets harder and harder to create other characters with names that are, you know, don't begin with the same letter, same uh-huh. last name letter. Uh, so it just makes it, 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 it early in my career it was much easier. Now yeah. it's getting tougher. But, a lot of, <laughs> lot of work. But, well, and I'm glad you followed tradition because your serial killer has got three names, Roscoe Lee Marks. And either it's either a serial killer or your mother yelling at you is when all three names come into play. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, but yeah, the, the, this is the naming convention that uh, both uh, law enforcement and the media uses. Uh, it's probably to be uh, more specific and identifiable so that yes. if there are people out there with, uh, which is more likely two names that can sound, uh, that could be the same as your name, it's yeah. unlikely that you'd have, you know, a trio of names that match somebody out there. So it's, that's probably why it's done. Although I, I'm just guessing on that, but yeah. At so least, I went with that. Yeah. 
Well, having having worked yeah. in in newspapers and in broadcast news for a lot of years, yes, that's exactly why it's done so that you don't mix up. Uh, so that somebody doesn't think his neighbor Roscoe Fred Marks is the murderer. So yeah. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. Right. Well, see, I learned something today. <laughs> Well, I I learned a whole bunch of stuff in here, including stuff about arson and other aspects of investigation that were new to me. And I read a lot of of uh, thrillers and crime novels, so uh, anytime you can expand my knowledge, I appreciate that. Um, some of the other things that I, I wanted to ask you about is you had actually written, um, I think it was an ebook with with your friend at the uh, at the FBI. And how was that process going? How was that to do? Yeah, so uh, one of the profilers that I've worked with all these years, the one that I mentioned in that story earlier, uh, Mark Safrick, he and I were doing an interview, and uh, this goes back uh, nine, ten years uh, when when The Seventh Victim came out, and because The Seventh Victim is the first uh, Karen Vale novel. And the question was, how does a woman protect herself? Because the seventh victim opens with this very upsetting scene where uh, an FBI agent comes to the door of this, uh, this young woman and uh, says, Hey, you know, we've, we've got a rapist in the community. I've got some mugshots. Uh, Would you, you know, take five minutes just to look at this, make sure you haven't seen this guy in the area. Uh, he shows her his badge and, you know, what it's dinner time. She's in the middle of making dinner. And, you know, what, what is she going to do? Say no. Uh, she invites him in. And uh, what can I say? This is uh, catastrophic for her. It was it was actually the killer. Now, I'm not giving anything away. This all happens in the first five pages of the novel. But uh-huh. it was uh, a scenario that was very upsetting. And the question was, well, what could a woman do to protect herself from this? from such a scenario and uh and mark answered the question and then uh afterwards we kind of looked at each other and said man that, that was that's kind of important why don't we write an article about this and uh you know how how can a woman protect herself and so we started working on this article and realized that 1200 words is not going to cut it uh, and and we just said let's just write it and worry about it later and we ended up with, you know, 40-something pages of uh, very important information and material. And um, so we we continued working on it over time and then basically said, uh, why don't we give this away And uh, as, as an e-book? So it's, uh, it's something that I've done uh, for many years. Uh, if you go to my website, alanjacobson.com, you just uh, you sign up for my newsletter. And then in that process, the, uh, the ebook is sent to you. So it's, it's full of really important information, not just for young women and old women and in between women, it's for men, it's for Mm -hmm. families. It's really important information that we go into, as you would suspect, uh, the, the mind of the killer. What is the killer looking for? What is the offender trying to accomplish? If you can understand that, then you can almost apply uh, the safety measures you need to take to any situation. And that was the concept. Uh, we, we can tell you what to do, but it's much more effective if we explain why it happens. Yeah. And then you could apply the principles to any, it's kind of like, you know, instead of giving you a fish, we teach you how to fish. 
Absolutely. Well, you'll, uh, you'll not be signing up as soon as I sign off here because that, that sounds like <laughs> something everybody should have a copy of. So, yeah, thank you. It, it really is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I wanted to, to go one more direction and, and ask you, well, maybe not ask you, but comment on the fact that I'm a huge fan of twists at the end of books or close to the end of books that make <laughs> you rethink everything you've known before. And I will say, without spoiling anything, there's one of there that's a humdinger in this one. So, uh, congratulations <laughs> on having done that. Uh, how, where in the process does that come out? I mean, you say you know where the ending is. Does that include the big mm-hmm. twist? Or yeah, okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I just have the feeling that I, I, mean, I, I can hear you sitting there at the typewriter chortling when it comes to you. <laughs> yes. Um, sometimes, yeah, sometimes it's, uh, goosebumps. Mm. Um, sometimes it's, um, oh, that's, that's good. You know, that type of thing. Um, sometimes it just comes to me. Sometimes it requires some thought and, um, sometimes it happens, you know, during the research phase. Uh, you know, while I'm gathering the information and simultaneously working on the outline. And sometimes it happens when I'm talking with the people that I'm doing my research with. They'll oh. tell me a story. And, uh, and this is, you know, I, I've been asked multiple times, uh, including by my doctor who says you work too much. Um, <laughs> she says, why don't you have somebody else do the research for you? And, uh, you know, because the research takes me several months and it continues while I'm writing, even though you know, I have the bulk of it done. Uh, as I'm writing, I, I um, realize there are things that I need to know more about or things that I didn't think I needed to know that I that I do need to know. And uh, so I'll, I'll go back into research mode and, and contact whoever it is that I need to uh, contact to get the information. And um, the reason why I do the research myself is because if I gave it to someone else to do, I'd get pages of information and it would be fine. But there's a dimension that I get that I wouldn't get if I was looking at pages of information. And that's the interaction with the research source that I'm working with. So, for example, uh, when I was working, this this is just one that, that comes to mind. When I was working with the uh, NYPD detective when I wrote Spectrum, which is set largely in New York City, mm-hmm. he would tell me stories of cases that he had and things that happened. And sometimes you can't get better than reality because truth yeah. is stranger than fiction, right? <laughs> yes. Absolutely. And uh, so, yeah, so he would tell me these stories and I go, Oh man, that's so good. That's perfect. I know exactly where that needs to go in my story and I'll work the real things into my story. And I, I would not have had that if I didn't have that interaction with, if I didn't ask questions of my research expert, then I would not have gotten the answer that then took me on that uh, journey to incorporate mm-hmm. these real stories into uh, th- to my story. So, you know, you get the verisimilitude that you yeah. think you might have, but you, you go um, 10 feet further 
um, because you're you're working off the actual reality. And, and when you sense that, yeah, yeah, I, I think I think they definitely do because um, you get this uh, sense of uh, been there, done that. You know, this person knows what it's like to be in the trenches, and certainly uh, other people who have done the things I only write about, they kind of nod and go, "Yeah, yeah." That's right. And, and that's, I like that. Um, that it means a lot to me to respect the people that actually do what I'm writing about. And that was something that, uh, Mark had said to me very, very early on. He said, you know what? You're writing about serial offenders and real, you know, victims, respect the victims, respect the, the profilers and law enforcement agents that do this stuff. Um, don't, don't make, make it up, um, yeah. get it right. And, uh, so that's always been my mantra, um, all these years is to do my best to get it right. And, uh, respect the people that actually do this stuff. I guess I want to close this by, by asking first, if there's anything that I have not covered that you think you, our listeners would like to, to have. And the other is, is, uh, to ask you to a bit about your next project. So I think the only thing to mention is that I'm, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm everywhere. I, I have an Instagram account. It's go figure Alan dot Jacobson. Um, uh, and, and my name is a L a N and it's J a C O B S O N. So same with my website, alanjacobson.com. I'm on Facebook. Uh, so it's facebook.com slash Alan Jacobson fans. I've actually got other Facebook groups that are run by readers. So uh, if you go to fansofalanjacobson.com, that forwards to the, the other Facebook group. And um, where else am I? Twitter, at Jacobson Allen. And uh, yeah, so I'm reachable. And then, of course, uh, my email, you could reach me through my website, uh, is uh, under the contact, Allen. Uh, or connect, I think, is actually the menu item on my website, and you can send me an email. Uh, so there's there's that, uh, and I do. If you send me a message, I do reply. Uh, so if for some reason you haven't gotten a response, uh, send it again because sometimes when people enter their email addresses into the form on my website, they mistype it, uh, and I spend ten minutes writing a response, and then it bounces, and I go, "Oh no, not again!" Oh, I have no yeah. way. To getting it to them. So just make sure you type your, your email address correctly. And if for some reason you don't hear from me, send it again. It's, it got caught by spam filter or something um, yeah. where the address was mistyped. That happens. And behind the veil, you mentioned you'd finished the next book. Did I hear you say that? Yes. So uh, I just finished the fourth object team black novel. It um, all I'll say uh, at this point in time is that it yeah. takes my readers uh, to a place they've never been. Uh, I don't think uh, any, any other novelist has done this. It's, it's uh, unique in that respect. And um, it's very exciting and it's timely. Uh, that's the other thing is that my novels tend to be uh, very timely relative to, Mm-hmm. New cycles. And, and sometimes, a lot of times, I think of these things and then they come true. In fact, it's almost, um, it's a joke. 
between me and my editor uh, because it, it's almost like all I have to do is send him an email and say, here we go again, because, you know, I'm writing about something and it could be at various phases, phases in the process. Uh, and all of a sudden there'll be a news item about what I'm writing about. And uh, so, you know, we laugh about it. It's frustrating for me because if, if it's early in the process, it could be a year or longer before my novel comes out. So then, you know, people may say, oh yeah, he got that from the news. No, I thought of it first. And unfortunately yeah. it ends up coming true. Um, yeah. Sometimes it happens after the novel's been out. There's some things in the Lost Codex that have since happened uh, since the novel came out. And, uh, you know, some. so uh, my editor says, hey, be careful what you think about because yes, please. <laughs> you have a way of making it come true. No, no disasters. So, right. So this Team Black novel, the fourth one, kind of delves into something that uh, there was already... Uh, a news article a few days ago that um, was similar to what I had thought of. And, um, you know, it takes one of the concepts that I had discussed. So it was like, here we go again. Uh, uh, but it's it's very exciting. And, um, you know, uh, I can't wait until it gets out there. But as with the darkness of evil, you know, there's a lag time. There's a wait before uh, it gets into readers' hands, goes through production and all these phases along the way and uh yeah so hopefully we'll have another choose the cover contest that's something we do for my readers uh my publisher makes up three covers and the readers vote and choose which one they like best so that's always a fun thing all right Excellent, excellent. Well, you have teased us mightily, which is, of course, exactly what you need to do to market your book. We also want to want to mention that uh, if people who are listening have, are excited or interested in any of them, all you can find autographed first edition copies at VJ Books, our wonderful sponsor. So, uh, and I know that you have got a great relationship with with the, the with them as well. Oh, I, I have to tell you, yes, both as a bookseller and um, the, the the hardcovers that they sell, I feel very confident saying they're unlike most hardcovers that you're accustomed to. They are beautiful collector's editions um, from the, the, the cloth covering to the embossment to the, the quality paper, the style design. It's just, it's a beautiful product. Nobody does it better. So um, yeah, if you're looking for a gift or a present or that special collectible, um, as well as something that's very easy to read. Uh, Norwood Press's uh, hardcover editions of my novels are just just exceptional. All right. Well, fantastic. You have been very gracious with your time today. Uh, uh, obviously, we've been talking with Alan Jacobson. His latest is The Darkness of Evil, a Karen Vale novel. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Roger. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to Modern Sign Books. Make sure to follow and comment on who you would like to hear next. Feel free to check out our other author interviews. And visit vjbooks.com to pick up signed copies of all of your favorite books.